So faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. From St. Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Welcome to the second week of Advent and a continuation of our waiting. Advent is a season in which we look back to the first coming of Jesus Christ as a baby in a manger, commonly called Christmas, but it's also a looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ as our judge and our savior. God and his church has ordered the seasons of the year around the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For example, every year, every spring, we know that there will be Easter, the day we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But for the resurrection of Jesus to take place, he actually had to die. So we have the season of Lent, to prepare for the Easter season. Or to put it another way, you can't have Easter without a Good Friday. The season of Advent is a little like that. Jesus doesn't just randomly show up in Bethlehem and everybody says, oh, look, a baby and a, and a savior. No, we're told beforehand, and so it's our privilege to prepare. And I was thinking of this kind of in, in light of Thanksgiving a couple weeks ago, my, my wife and I got to host Thanksgiving for the first time. Call it the advantage of having a two-month-old son. <laughs> we said to the family, well, baby Joseph is going to stay here. So if you want to see the baby, you're going to have to come to our house. And it was clockwork. The grandparents and the uncles said, yes, we will be there. But they didn't just randomly show up without warning, and we certainly weren't prepared. We made plenty of phone calls to finalize the day and the time. We discussed who was going to bring what, and Amy did a wonderful job cleaning the house, preparing the house, and just getting the atmosphere ready. Advent is a little like that. Advent is a time where we prepare and we wait. And for this reason, we're having a sermon series over the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Today, we're talking about faith. So I'd like to begin by having the children or anyone who is young at heart to come forward for a discussion about faith. Hello, hello. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm sitting down so nice and quiet. Wow. You guys are like this Monday through Friday at school, right? Mm. How are we doing? How's school going? Good. Almost over for the semester, right? And then a little bit of a break? Yep, yep. What's going on at home? Y'all doing any decorations? What kind of decorations? For Advent, Christmas, trees. Yeah, what else is going what what else kind of decorations? Lights? Nativity set. Very good. Blow ups, yeah, those are fun. All for you said Advent and what other thing? Christmas. What's Christmas? Say again? The birth of Jesus. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Yeah, it is. Do you all believe that Jesus was actually born? Yes. Good. I'm glad you all agree with that. <laughs> what is your favorite thing about Christmas? The presents. Presents? <laughs> Celebrating Jesus' birth. That's good, too. What else? Celebrating Jesus' Favorite thing about Christmas? Celebrating Jesus. 
Now, with, with presents, do you like to give presents or do you like to receive presents? Give? Good for you. You're not lying to a priest, are you? Good for you. I hope you like to give and receive. And you know what? I actually have a gift to give you. I have a present to give you today. Do you know what that might be? What is it? You have no idea? snow globe, right? Yeah. See, on Wednesday, we had a little talk about uh, the idea of worship and just as far as giving, and I told them I would I would give them some snow globes on Sunday. Do y'all remember me saying that? Yeah. But do you, do you believe that I said that? Yeah. Well, I said I wasn't going to do it, but do you see any snow, snow globes here? So what do you think? Do I have them? No Orioles. Interesting. <laughs> Do you think maybe you're going to have to trust me? Maybe you'll have to have faith that you will receive a snow globe? I do. You do? <laughs> well, thank I you very much. Faith is kind of like trust, and, and, and trust is very important. And however nice it might be to have trust or faith in me, we should have faith and trust in somebody else. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus and God, yes. We have faith in God because we believe that he loves us very much and will always be with us. So in a minute but not yet, I'm going to have you go back to your parents and we're going to continue our worship. And throughout our worship will be an exercise, a practice of faith. So I want you to know that if you have faith, before the day ends, you will receive a snow globe. But don't put the faith and trust in me. Put faith in God. Amen? Amen. Thank you for coming up. The Christian virtue of faith. Biblically speaking, the book of Hebrews defines faith as this, as being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. If you would like a, another definition, Faith is our assent and our trust that rests on the truthfulness of God. Our assent and our trust that rests on the truthfulness of God. The underlying assumption there is that there is truth, and we can either agree with it or disagree with it. Our gospel reading sets itself up for either a truth or a total lie. Here's just some of what we read. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eutaria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the reign of Annas and Caiaphas. We didn't know any about it. This could be an historical book, a textbook. It, it talks about certain people at a certain place in a certain time, and therefore, checking historically, this is either accurate or it's not. So here's what we know from non-biblical sources, from Roman history and from Jewish history. And you can see the slide there. The 15th reign in office for Tiberius Caesar was between 27 and 29 AD. Pontius Pilate was in the Middle East for those 10 years. 
Herod was governor of Galilee, Galilee from 4 BC all the way to 39 AD. Philip, his brother, governed 4 BC to 39, 34 AD. And Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, ministered from AD 18 to 36. So, from a couple different sources, from different cultures writing their own histories, does the Christian witness add up historically? Yes. Luke, who, who wrote the gospel this morning, the author of this text, was a Greek physician. Logically, we, we can assume he was educated. And he actually begins his book, the, the title of the book being The Good News. He begins it by writing, Therefore I, I Luke, therefore I have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. That which has been handed down to us by eyewitnesses so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The New Testament is not a historical textbook, but it does talk about what God has done in history. The New Testament simply says that a man named Jesus, born in Bethlehem, claims to be God. He had a public ministry of about three years, filled with teaching and miracles and calling followers to himself. But he died. Not the end of the story. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven alive. And he sent the Holy Spirit of God to be with his followers and for the church to carry on his ministry even today. And that's either true or it's rubbish. So how reliable are the claims of the New Testament? We've shown this slide before, but I think it's worth showing again. From the science of textual criticism, the argument is basically this. The more manuscripts we have, and the earlier they are, the less doubt about the original. The more manuscripts we have, the earlier they are, the less doubt. So you can see the time difference and the number of copies for other writings that we hold to be reliable. <coughs> And see how that compares to the New Testament at the very bottom. It's not even a competition, is it? With less than a generation, or at the most, a couple of generations of a time gap, and almost <coughs> 25,000 copies in several different languages still in existence, the New Testament shatters any other reliable text. In terms of historical Textual criticism, the New Testament stands absolutely and unapproachably alone. The unique claim of the New Testament is that this, what God, this is what God has done uniquely in history. And our faith is our assent to the truthfulness of God. It's been popular to say that this is evidence that demands a verdict. Like God, like the New Testament is on trial. Sometimes, though, it might be better to think that I'm the one on trial. That it's God that is true, that it's the New Testament that's true, and it's whether I believe it. The truthfulness of the gospel convicts me to live the gospel. That's putting my trust, my faith, in the God of history, who is both righteous and merciful. That's me being aware of what is true 
and what is not. Recognizing what is, what is right and what is wrong, knowing what the God of history calls me to be, and then putting my trust in him. The author of the Hebrews says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But St. Paul also says this. He writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with our Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive good or evil according to what he has done in the body. Walking or living by faith means trusting that Jesus will make good on his promise to return. Living by faith means that when he does return, or when I die, whichever comes first, I will be asked what I did with the gift of salvation that he was given me. Walking by faith means that we are supposed to be faithful. And this really can be seen as, as the whole narrative of Scripture, that God calls people to himself and in, invites them to trust him, to have faith in him, to be faithful. And our job, our privilege, is to live and transmit that faith. So that's why when this world is trying to get rid of religion and saying that God has no place in the public sphere, I will continue to use the name of God in the name of Jesus on a daily basis. That's why when this world is going crazy with mass shootings and refugees and just violence everywhere, I will continue to pray to God to soften hearts, for God for, for conversion, and be available as I can for the ministry of healing and reconciliation. That's why when the society is, making a mock, is mocking sexuality, and destroying the marital bed, I'm going to, to be faithful to my wife. That's why I will continue to invite people here on Sunday morning, the day of resurrection, because if I believe that God truly gives himself here, then where else are Christians supposed to be? Nowhere. And that's why I will not reject the sacraments of God, because if we trust that, that God gives his grace in the sacraments, why on earth would we do away with them? If it's truth that you're after, we have a reliable source and 2,000 years of Christian witness. If it's trust that you may be struggling with, well, that's, that's a process. But it requires your faithfulness. This Advent season... Where are we putting our trust? Who are we putting our trust in? And what are we doing about it? Amen.